Hi, my name is Pete Scazzaro. I want to welcome you again today to the Emotionally Healthy Leader podcast. And as we finished this year up, uh, 2019, I know a lot of you as teams uh, and leaders are planning out your 2020 and you're thinking about themes such as leadership development and discipleship. And let me encourage you uh, to pick up what we would consider the core material of the culture of emotionally healthy discipleship. That's called the course the EH Discipleship Course, uh, Part 1 and 2. And let me encourage you to pick it up, not to even first bring it to your church or your ministry, but first to bring it to you and your team and digest it. Uh, and then you can, after that, as you, uh, you consider whether it's impacted your lives and your team uh, in a significant way, significant enough way that you actually do want to bring it to your ministry, then you can consider how you might want to launch that. But uh, just go to emotionallyhealthy.org slash lead. That's emotionallyhealthy.org slash lead. And uh, you don't just get the kit when you buy that from us. You actually, get, in terms of all the materials, you actually get the training on how do you actually lead this, again, with your team uh, and eventually your whole ministry. So check that out, emotionallyhealthy.org slash lead. Now, our topic today is five leadership mistakes to avoid at Christmas. That's five leadership mistakes to avoid at Christmas. Actually, my initial title was, How Can a Leader and Pastor Flourish Around Christmas? Actually, that title was given to me. And as I prepared it, I realized uh, it assumes I did it really well, which I did. And I made a lot of mistakes, which I'll talk about in a few minutes. So that's why I retitled it, Five Leadership Mistakes to Avoid at Christmas, because it's going to go after my mistakes. So uh, EH Discipleship really is like an operating system uh, of a computer. Uh, or a phone. Now, again, personal computers run on operating systems, OSs, and these operating systems manage all the software and hardware on the computer, you know, from the hard drive to the applications, the monitors and keyboards, printers, etc. But it's the foundation of everything that happens on that computer. And um, the, most, the two most common operating systems uh, for personal computers are, are Microsoft Windows and Mac OS. And once you install your operating system, then you, there's you know, thousands of apps that you can add to it, applications that you can use. Now, EHD Discipleship is a, an entire operating system that changes everything once you install it into your personal life, your team, and your ministry. Uh, and it has so many applications once you get into it. And uh, so, for example, we did a blog, uh, I mean, a, a podcast probably a couple of months ago on uh, applying emotional health to planning a wedding. In other words, how do, you, how do you run a wedding? How do you communicate it? How do you set expectations? Whether you're the person getting married or you're overseeing a wedding. And for us, we went through two weddings with two of our daughters. And uh, so it was, it was another application of the theology of EH discipleship in a very specific setting. Uh, the Emotionally Healthy Woman book that, that Jerry's written is, is an application of the EH discipleship you know, core operating system. You know, a number of topics that are found in the Emotionally Healthy Leader book, such as culture and team building, emotionally healthy power and wise boundaries, uh, really are applications of the broad you know, operating system. I hope to do a couple of uh, podcasts eventually on emotionally healthy preaching and emotionally healthy parenting, uh, again, because they're just they're tremendous applications uh, of the theology. And um, so today uh, we're going to work on uh, app- applying EH discipleship to something like Christmas and the holidays. Uh, and again, it takes years to work out the theological implications uh, of something. And, and I, I have a friend who was trained in EFT, it's a PhD, uh, emotionally focused therapy. And he said it took him eight to 10 years to actually master unlearning 
what he learned in his PhD program, and then learning emotionally focused therapy, and then actually learning to apply it uh, in all contexts in his work. And I thought that's a very good application. I, it'd probably take seven to 10 years to actually master the applications of EH discipleship in every area of life. But so anyway, today, here we are, five leadership mistakes to avoid at Christmas. And again, there's so much stress that comes on all of us and expectations around Christmas. I was in the middle of Manhattan, New York City at Rockefeller Center, uh, just two days ago, and I was completely overwhelmed by the crowds. It took seven to eight police officers uh, working in harmony to actually enable us to cross the street uh, in certain areas of the city because of the immensity of the crowds. And it was just so overwhelming. Um, it reminded me of the beast of Revelation. That's goal is to cut us off from Jesus, uh, from loving union with Jesus at, at all costs. And I was like, oh my gosh, I mean, it's so challenging to walk with Jesus at Christmas. Uh, and it was always a very challenging time of the year for me. In fact, I asked Jerry in the car this past week, Jerry, what, 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 what are some thoughts you would have about, you know, how a leader can flourish during Christmas? And, and uh, how do you, you know, what, what did we learn? And she just looked at me and says, uh, you didn't do it well. <laughs> so we had a really nice conversation. And in the early years of, of church planting, for example, as we planted in Life Fellowship, we didn't have a Christmas Eve service. And, didn't, and uh, Jerry didn't want to have a Christmas Eve service because, again, we had four small girls. Uh, and her mother lives in New Jersey, a different state, and we would travel an hour and 45 minutes to get to her. Uh, traffic is you know, really intense around Christmas here uh, in Queens, New York City. And, but eventually I insisted uh, as a church grew that we, that we have a Christmas Eve service and that it was a great evangelistic opportunity. And so we eventually started it. Uh, and then we started another Christmas outreach with we would do plays every year to attract large numbers of people from the community. And then, of course, you always have Sundays around that as well. And uh, it sure did impact our family negatively. Uh, again, this is all pre-emotionally healthy discipleship. And just even driving to uh, our church uh, at Christmas, at Christmas Eve, uh, is a, you know, it's, uh, it is an experience. And, uh, you know, a, a, an eight-mile drive could take, you know, an hour and a half easily. Then, of course, I got all the sermon preps that I was doing during the holidays and distractions. And, and Jerry reminded me what it was like on, on Christmas morning after having given ourselves so uh, intensely to the outreaches, how tired I would be emotionally and, and spiritually spent. And again, I didn't really consult with her. Uh, and, uh, you know, I asked her, what, what, we did do it better eventually. Uh, and I said, Jerry, what could we have done differently early on? She goes, well, you know, we could have said every two years that we won't be there for Christmas Eve, uh, but we would go and have extended time with our families um, and let other people speak and just don't get yourself in that role of being so indispensable. So, you know, I did it better. Some, I did it somewhat better in my later years, uh, but I made a lot of mistakes around Christmas. And uh, and actually, the mistakes I'm going to share with you are not just my own. They're, they're observations I've had with other friends of mine who pastored for many years uh, who have shared with me regrets they have around Christmas as well uh, as leaders. So, again, I was lead pastor at New Life for 26 years, but it wasn't until really year... 19 that I I felt like I really started to make some significant applications of emotionally healthy discipleship um, and at that point we were in it you know quite a while so anyway here's my five and uh, we'll, we'll take them one by one uh, first was this I, I failed to put first things first 
you know, I failed to put first things first. Um, I didn't steward myself well. It was always a difficult time for me spiritually. I, I, I really used to feel, I used to struggle about why do I feel far from Jesus at the time of year I'm supposed to feel closest. And, and I'm, I'm supposed to be bringing everyone so close to Jesus. And part of it was just, I, I didn't have proper rhythms. I, um, uh, I, I just got, I had too many things going on, too many balls were juggling. And uh, just couldn't often see the big picture. I, you know, you're running a marathon, not a sprint. And you've got to think 5, 10, 15, 25, 50 years from now. And uh, I just, I did too much uh, around the holidays. And I have a couple of friends that were involved, not even point leaders, but on staff at large churches. And that did extensive outreaches around Christmas and uh, have deep regrets of the years lost. I mean, they would do seven, 10, 12 services around Christmas and uh, and how their Christmas was to have everyone else have a great Christmas and just the regrets uh, decades later. And uh, it's just tragic. Now mine was not quite that severe, but uh, I didn't do a good inventory of what I needed around Christmas to actually walk in joy, loving union, being anchored. Now, so again, depending on who you are as you're listening to this, uh, it may be two weeks before Christmas for you right now or one week. Uh, and I want to just invite you to stop, you know, be still, you know, before the Lord, journal, ponder. Uh, I'm going to give you five things to think about here. Uh, but you want to adjust yourself and, and uh, maybe make some kind of shifts. But when I talk about failing to put first things first, I didn't put my, myself first in terms of my own limits and what I could manage, but I didn't lead out of my marriage either. And again, supplies, if you're single, lead out of your singleness. Uh, again, our, I'm you know convinced totally that the scriptures teach that if you're married, uh, your marriage is meant to be a sign and a wonder you know, to Jesus. We point, we model, we give people a taste of of the deep love of God through our marriage. And if you're single, you're single. Your singleness is meant to be a sign and a wonder uh, and meant to give people a taste of the breath of the love of God. And so just as the blind walked and Jesus, you know, healed the the dead, raised the dead, cleansed lepers, and they were signs of the kingdom of God. And so marriage is meant to be a sign of the kingdom of God. And so just like there's limits in my personal life, I've got limits in my marriage. And there's gifts in those as well. But one of the greatest gifts you can give your church and ministry is, is your marriage, your singleness, your, your life, your being. But I didn't listen to Jerry, uh, didn't even fully engage her, especially initially as we were making some plans. And that was a big mistake. God was speaking to me uh, because our unique life context uh, was a uh, was a dynamic, was, was a is the way God was helping us discern in terms of where our extended family lived, nature of our four children, nature of our ministry and church, et cetera, et cetera. And I think Jerry's suggestion would have been fantastic. Imagine if I did it early on to say, okay, because of the nature of our family being, uh, extended family being, uh, you know, in another state, we have to travel, that every two years we're going to do that. And it would have moved to team preaching earlier than I did and trained some preachers. Uh, but time is needed for, and we need, I needed time to think through things such as gifts uh, and cards, who and how that I want to offer gifts to people as an expression of my love for Jesus and love for people, beginning with Jerry, then each of our daughters. Now it's, we have two in-laws, grand, two grandchildren, then I give Jerry's family, some friends, our co-workers, those who worked for us, our team. Uh, for a couple of years, we did some neighborhood parties. 
Megan, uh, I, I want to invite you just take some time, perhaps today or this week, maybe a half a day alone to really ponder. How, first things first is, how is the Lord God inviting you uh, to celebrate the entrance of God in the world in the person of Jesus and to honor and thank and love the people around you and to offer a gift to the world in the name of Jesus? Um, you know, lead yourself and lead your family and evaluate and look at your commitments. So, again, talk, just talking about first things first, you know, I've been, uh, for, in my own devotional life, as I ponder Christmas, I'm doing a lot of uh, just study and pondering around the glory of God in creation, what it means that God came to earth. And uh, so I want you to think about this for a second. And as we think about God visiting our planet in the person of Jesus, you know, you and I are walking around a round planet that's hurling around the sun at 62,000 miles an hour. And uh, the sun, which is the center of our solar system, is moving around the galaxy at 500,000 miles an hour. And the whole galaxy is hurling itself in a direction unknown at an unimaginable speed into a universe that's ever expanding with billions of other galaxies stretching into eternity. If you look at some of the shots of the Earth from outer space, from the moon, for example, you get a sense of the wonder of us hanging in space in this planet and the strangeness of our lives within this, you know, tiny place in the universe called Earth. And yet God has created this uh, atmosphere and ecosystem that we can, there's life on this planet and the miracle of that and that God so loved the world that he gave his son. Uh, that whoever believes in him, you know, should not perish, but have life. And that God so loves the world. I just even think of this. God so loves the world. So anyway, imagine just what it might mean to, to keep this first in your own heart, whatever you do, uh, wherever you go, however you be, you know, this Christmas. And it just takes, the word is time. So my first mistake was I failed to put first, thing, first things first. But the second was a uh, mistake I made around Christmas and regret is I, I wasted time trying to live someone else's life and lit and ministry. Now, there's churches that are uh, in our New York City area and, of course, the country that I was always exposed to that had incredible Christmas uh, extravaganzas and outreaches. And uh, I was always in awe of them. And I attended a couple uh, over the years. And I like, again, it's, it's it's kind of like, in my case, it was like ecclesiastical pornography, you know, it was Eugene Peterson's term. For in other words, it's almost like a, it gets, it, it can get you in a bad place. And it, I know it did for me. And I would get anxious in hearing about some other ministries, you know, great outreaches, how many people came to Christ and the altar was filled. And and then I, I, I've listened and, and seen preachers who just love Christmas and just love Easter and they just, they just get a certain energy from those services and, uh, and preaching the holidays, and they just loved it. And, and I feel all guilty because I didn't. Um, there were some of my toughest weekends were holiday weekends and, you know, approaching Christmas or Easter in a fresh way. And, and then I knew churches just gifted at doing large events, especially some of the larger churches, and I admired them. But it didn't mean that God was calling me to do what they were doing. Now, each of us as leaders and and, and uh, in our local context, and each of our churches are, are unique. And uh, But I wasted time trying to be like some other leaders and, and churches and versus just being comfortable in my own skin as I'm, I'm more of a teacher and uh, preacher teacher. And uh, it just wasn't me to do these massive events. And we did them, uh, but it wasn't always best, to, you know, for me. And 
uh, at all, and we eventually canceled them, and I'll talk about that in a few minutes. But you have limits, and so do I. And uh, we have our own personal limits. We've got our family limits, and our church has limits. The location of our church is limits, and your calling in Jesus is a limit. Uh, and again, mine was depth of discipleship and pondering and writing. And, and I'm not the whole church, and you're not the whole church. And uh, you may be listening to this, and you are a gifted, creative uh, person. And it's one of your anointings is to offer large venues for people who are on the journey of knowing Jesus to, to come and go for it. But again, the question is, what is God saying to you? Just like the, the first the question after each of these is, what is, what is God saying? You know, let's listen to him. What kind of leader are you? What's his invitation to you? Uh, in fact, I want to read you a couple of paragraphs that I, I pulled out in thinking about this that, again, it was written after we got on the Emotional Discipleship Journey. And uh, this is from, from Jerry uh, in her book, Emotionally Healthy Woman. And it reads as follows. And as you think about wasting time trying to live someone else's life, the question is, with whom do you need to set boundaries? And the answer is simple, with everyone. That includes your mother, father, siblings, spouse, children, friends, co-workers, even your pet. Boundaries are crucial if you are to avoid detours and follow God's path for you. It's not bad that people want what they want. People will always want things from you. Your time, your emotional support, your expertise, your money, your participation. Whatever it is that you have that they want, this is normal. It does not make them bad. We all want what we want, even nice giving people like you. However, the fact that someone wants something from you does not necessarily mean God wants you to provide it or that he wants them to have it. Of course, it's often easier to do what others want and be who they want. But the question is, what is best in the long run? And what is best in the long run is for you and me to set boundaries in order to be faithful to our God-given lives. Otherwise, we end up fused to others. And fusion is a term from physics that describes what happens when metals are melted together and lose their distinctive qualities. Emotional fusion happens when we lose our distinctiveness and lose ourselves in someone else's life. End of quote uh, from the Emotionally Healthy Woman. And I, and I think there's probably few times of the year there's greater pressure to fuse with people than around Christmas. So I wasted a lot of time trying to live someone else's life. The third uh, key mistake I made around Christmas was I, I engaged in faulty thinking. And uh, faulty thinking just gets you in a mess. And, you know, some of my faulty thinking went like this. Oh, this is a make or break uh, opportunity. Uh, this is going to be the second largest attendance of the year, perhaps after Easter. And this is an incredible opportunity. And people are going to come to Christ. And uh, it's all is true. But the faulty thinking, it's not, it's not make or break uh, for your ministry or church. And... Uh, yes, it's a great opportunity, but there are lots of great opportunities. Uh, and But the truth is, all conversions of people coming to Christ is a very slow process. Now, there may be a moment of crossing the line, uh, but people come to Christ mostly out of a relationship with someone over time. And yes, it may be the, the moment they actually cross the line at one of your services, but it's not the make or break of your ministry. And remember, one of the great temptations of Jesus was the Pharisees and Sadducees, the other religious folks of his day, would say, Jesus, give us a sign from heaven that, you know, you're really him, the Messiah. In other words, be sensational. Be sensational, be spectacular, do something special. Uh, and he refused. 
again, the fact that you can do something doesn't mean it's what God wants you to do. It's faulty thinking. So I had guilt um, that I maybe wasn't doing altar calls as well as I should, or uh, I wasn't leading people as effectively from the pulpit as well as I should. And, oh, gosh, what a what a terrible yoke. You know, be yourself. Be who God uniquely made you to be. What's God saying to you? And do it. But I engage in so much faulty thinking. I mean, the whole message of Christmas is that, you know, God comes in the little uh, and the slow. I mean, Jesus redefines uh, greatness in the kingdom of God, and not the super gifted or the super rich or super talented or the super leader. Uh you know, we don't show off our bodies, our IQs, our accomplishments. The great ones in the kingdom of God says Jesus are, are the little, little children, uh, those who are the poor, the elderly, the sick, the dying, the marginalized, the handicapped, the prisoners, the battered, the lonely, all those who are in the margins, the unstrategic ones socially. And uh, and Jesus talks about, you know, finding himself in the little, like the whole parable of the sheep and the goats in Matthew 25, uh, that bigness, uh, he, he, Jesus is not what the kingdom about. It's about the little. And I, I always think of the contrast of Jesus hidden among the little uh, in you know, first century uh, Israel. And they had Herod, the king of the Jews, for 37 years, building these massive buildings. Uh, he built entire cities like Caesarea and Masada, this huge fortress, the Temple Mount, which was twice as big as anything other edifice in the world. And he built an incredible fortress and palace just a few miles from Jerusalem. And uh, they say it went 22 stories up. He was one of the richest men on earth. And again, he was everything big uh, and showy. And then you had Jesus, you know, God coming in, in the little. And that, that's Christmas. And yet I kept judging myself by not being big enough. Uh, and then the whole truth of just how God comes so slow. And I love Tertullian's, uh, if you've never read it, it's so worth reading on his his. Uh, Text. I don't remember the, quite the title of it, about, about God's nature is to be patient. He's slow. And the most visible sign of God's patience is the incarnation. Uh, now, they say the world is 13 and a half, almost 14 billion years old. But God came to earth, you know, in the year, you know, 2,000 years ago. Uh, his whole way of calling the people of Israel very slowly over time, you know, through Abraham. Uh, and then God just waiting, you know, slowly, nine months as as Jesus is gestating in the womb of, of Mary, and he doesn't rush the developmental stages of Jesus, as Jesus waits till he's, you know, 27 to 30 years old to start his ministry, and he goes through his childhood and teen years, again, just so slow, no rush. Jesus sitting, I imagine just Jesus sitting through synagogue and worship and prayers and learning to read, and meanwhile, the Romans uh, you know, are expanding their empire. You've got all these Greek gods and mystery religions flourishing with their temples all around the great cities of the Roman Empire and people getting sick and dying and the Pharisees and the Sadducees splitting into liberal and strict schools and Jesus watching his friends move to Jerusalem. And, uh, you know, and then Jesus just the slowness of waiting to be baptized by John the Baptist and then slowly gathering the uh, disciples and training them, but he's just and just slowly just getting arrested and crucified and not calling twelve legions of, le of angels. I mean, as Tertullian says, it's God's nature to be patient uh, from the beginning to the end of Scripture, and that's why Simeon and Anna from Luke are such great examples. They're just slowly, they're just wait waiting and patiently. And as Tertullian says, when the Holy Spirit descends, patience and waiting is always at her side.
and that impatience, along with fear, are one of the roots of all sin. And impatience is of the devil himself, who can't wait. And so, again, as you, the you know, faulty thinking was one of my you know, huge mistakes. I bought into it. Um, again, having feeling like this pressure, I got to make this thing happen. So, again, the question is, what is God saying to you? What's God saying to you? The fourth mistake I made was I didn't say no strongly enough. I didn't say no strongly enough. I wasn't differentiated enough. Again, people pressured me. You know, we, in, in New York here, we've got lots of artistic, gifted people. And uh, I remember the pressure to, to do something in terms of outreaches around plays and theater. And it was beautiful and was wonderful, but I, it was exhausting. We didn't have the capacity for the size productions we were performing and having four performances. And then you have Christmas Eve services. And then you got a few days later, you might have a Sunday. And of course, people want multiple Christmas Eve services and special services because it's easier for their families and everything they've got going on. But meanwhile, you know, as a pastor on the staff, myself and others, we had to we had to run these things. And and uh, yeah, people shut up and they got blessed. But uh, it took something out of myself again. Uh, I didn't say no strongly enough and didn't think through the issues of impact on myself and Jerry and our children and our extended family. And then I'll think of all of our core leaders both paid and unpaid, and the impact on their families and their Christmas and their marriages, et cetera, and their singleness. You know, as goes the leader, so goes the church. And uh, I just didn't say no strongly enough. And we do, as leaders, create expectations, uh, or we don't create expectations. And th that's always going on. I had a few, two people come to me yesterday about, you know, you should be doing this, <laughs> you know, and da, 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 God wants you to do this. And, uh, and, and I just was able to say, now, of course, I'm much older, I was able to say very clearly, no, that's not what God's asking me to do. And, uh, Again, around mentoring or speaking, uh, everyone's got a plan for your life. And the great challenge of leadership is to be uh, clear enough inside of yourself, what's God inviting me to do, to say yes to and say no to? And you may be saying, well, Pete, I'm not, I'm not the lead pastor uh, uh, of, the, of the team or the church, and what do I do? And I would just say, you're, you're in a Daniel 1 situation, and, and you know, he's under the authority of uh, you know, Nebuchadnezzar, but he's able to plead and make suggestions, and you want to model well, again, the kind of culture you want to bring to the larger whole. And I, I think there's a way uh, under a, a larger leadership system that you can uh, graciously and kindly plead with authority and live out your God-given life. It's not always that easy. Uh, but again, you got to slow down and ask yourself the question, what is God asking you to do? What's God saying to you at this season? Well, here's a fifth lesson that I learned the hard way was this, that I, I did not adjust my rhythms sufficiently. I didn't adjust my rhythm sufficiently either. Again, there's uh, there's seasons. And Christmas and the holidays are a very intense season. And so I would normally take off. I would. I'd take off between Christmas and New Year's. But it just wasn't sufficient. It wasn't enough. Now, again, I we talk a lot about rhythms. We want, we want to create as leaders rhythms in our days. That's why we talk a lot about the daily office. Rhythms in our weeks consistent Sabbath, where we stop, rest, delight, contemplate God. Rhythms in our years, we have actually vacations, which uh, begin to build them out as mini sabbaticals, whether it's for a couple of weeks or four weeks, or but which I create kind of a Sabbath container around that. Uh, but then also there's just rhythms in the year every few months. And oh, and we talk about, I'm sorry, and I mentioned this, I think the last podcast, I think there's rhythms every seven, eight years where we take actually sabbaticals for three to four months longer periods actually reflect and be with Jesus and ourselves to step back and recalibrate for the future. And so as you look at your year annually, uh, there's a rhythm to that. 
around Christmas because there's an output, there's a giving that happens. I don't care what level of uh, service you're doing uh, as a leader to those around you, but there's an output of uh, agonizing over messages because uh, we want to be living and exuding the whole message of Christmas, which is the miracle of God coming to the world in Jesus. And so there's a lot of energy going out regardless of your role. And, um, and, and so you've got to compensate for that. And I didn't compensate sufficiently in terms of rhythms. And so even if I took the week between Christmas and New Year's, I would cheat. Uh, again, if that's considered a sabbatical week or 10 days, uh, I would sneak in some sermon thoughts and long-range planning. I'd sneak in some word, work. And again, let's remember, what is a, a Sabbath means? There is a container that protects the holiness and beauty of that time uh, before God. And that's why it's so important to get our weekly Sabbaths in place. But when we take a sabbatical for a season of time, we want to create a container around it. I see people redefining Sabbath into something that it's not. And uh, when you're working during Sabbath, you're not Sabbathing. Uh, you're mixing it. And so remember, we don't we don't make a lot of money. We don't go into this to for financial reasons because you could do something else and, and create more money. But there's an enormous privilege of being. Uh, a shepherd or, or a leader in the name of Jesus. And uh, many of you actually are vocationally pastors and leaders. We get paid for it. I mean, everyone's in full-time ministry, but some are set apart, Ephesians 4, to actually be pastors, teachers, evangelists, you know, apostles. And uh, we're actually set apart vocationally. But but um, there's a, but there's tremendous gifts way beyond money and rewards to leading in the name of Jesus. But it takes such vigilance to actually lead yourself with all the pressure that comes with being a leader. Because we want to be before we do. So I want you to uh, think as we close here of these five lessons. You know, I failed to put, number one is I failed to put first things first in terms of myself and my marriage in, around Christmas. And I want to encourage you to put, your, put first things first, your walk with Jesus and your marriage or your singleness and those closer around you. Number two is I wasted time trying to live someone else's life and ministry. You want to live out what God has for you. I engage in faulty thinking. I, you want to get your thinking straight. What The whole nature of Christmas is little and small. You don't need to show anything to anybody, uh, being big and fast, making it happen. That's just, that is not Jesus thinking. That's not the gospel. Fourthly, I didn't say no strongly enough. Uh, Jesus said a lot of no's. Uh, so he could say his yes to the Father. And the question again is, what is God saying to you? What is the yeses he has for you? Not that's coming out of the pressure of other people. And finally, I didn't adjust my rhythms sufficiently. What might it look for you to adjust your rhythms sufficiently, even the next few weeks? In fact, you want to plan out next year around September uh, for Christmas, thinking about what kind of container do I need to set up so that this is a joyful season for me. So, hey, it's been great to be with you, everybody, uh, here on the Emotionally Healthy Leader podcast. And I, I pray God's rich blessing on you. And may you do it better than I did, all right? And um, may you stand on the shoulders of my generation. And uh, may you go into the promised land. Uh, you know, Jordan, Moses could see it, but he didn't cross the Jordan. Uh, I can see some things that I didn't get a chance to actually live into because I learned them a little bit late. So may you get on shoulders of people like me. Uh, and may you model to the world that it is possible to lead and be missional for Jesus and do it with great joy out of a cup that overflows. So God bless everybody. You have a great day.